You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, and today we're in conversation with Sheila Akbar, President of Signet Education. Sheila loves both teaching and learning and finds nothing more rewarding than working closely with students to overcome the challenges they face. Today, we're going to chat with Sheila about her adventures in education, Signet, mental health in teens, how to inspire a genuine love of learning and keys to academic success. I'm really excited because I love learning and I love teaching. So welcome, Sheila. We, We are very excited to have you on today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Heather. It's really exciting to be here. It's really exciting. And I know it's nice early afternoon and late at night for us. So thank you for having us, for coming in yeah. early afternoon. Our listeners would love to hear about, I know that you're very much an academic yourself. You've got two doctorate degrees. Is that right? Two doctoral degrees it and is. one master's degree. Oh, I'm yep. great. That is a lot of persistence in learning. It's a love <laughs> of learning. <laughs> but we'd love to hear about your adventures along the way before joining Signet. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, kind of a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, basically, I was raised in a family that prioritized academic success over almost every other aspect of life. Um, and I really took that to heart. And I, from a very early age, loved learning, was extremely curious um, and very competitive with my older brother um, and realized <laughs> at some point that I would never know more than him because he had a whole extra two years of life on me. Um, (laughs) And that the only way I could sort of supersede his knowledge was by absorbing knowledge at a faster rate than he could. So I got very obsessed with um, speed reading at a young age. And, you know, my parents were thrilled, of course, because, you know, they had sort of tricked me into being a very good student. I was reading all the time as much as I could, as fast as I could. And that, you know, led me to a very good place. I went to Harvard for my undergraduate education. Um, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor, like my dad and now my brother. Um, But at some point in my college career, I realized that's not actually the life I wanted. Uh, And the trouble uh, that I was facing at that point was, I don't know how to figure out what kind of life I want. I've never really thought about that. I've always just done what my parents wanted for me or what their expectations were. So I I struggled with that um, as sort of high achieving of a student that I was, as I was, I I didn't know who I really was inside and and what kind of life I wanted to build for myself. Uh, So I fell into a whole bunch of other things. I went and worked on Wall Street for about two years. Oh, wow. Um, And then I uh, remembered being very happy in school. So I thought about, okay, I should, I should go to graduate school. Uh, And I thought, uh, well, I wanted to do something more creative than this Wall Street job. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to film school. I started film school applications. And when they started asking for, you know, what films have you made? And what's your vision for filmmaking? I had no answers. 
because I had never done that. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, no, it's not film. Uh, maybe it's architecture. Maybe I don't want to go all the way in the creative direction. I need something that's a mix of creativity and, and you know, mathematical rigor. <laughs> Uh, and then same thing happened. I started my application for architecture programs. I had no true motivation to do architecture. Um, and finally, and, and I really do wish I could remember what sparked this realization, but one day I had a realization, oh, I studied this poetry when I was an undergrad at Harvard. I still really love that poetry. Maybe I should go back and do a degree in literature. So that's where uh, my path in academia really started. I did a master's in uh comparative literature, um, and then eventually ended up doing a PhD um, and added on a second PhD. And all the while thinking I was going to become a professor because I really uh, enjoyed learning as you know we talked about at the top of the show, and I really enjoyed teaching. And that's always been something that has been a big part of my life, whether I'm helping friends or relatives or uh, classmates through you know, various challenges. Um, so I, I thought I'd really found it at that point after, you know, trying a bunch of things. Um, and then what happened was a friend of mine had started Signet Education. Um, I needed a part-time job while I was finishing my dissertation. And so I started working with him and I saw in, um, in the business an opportunity to do a lot of different things that I have loved doing um, in different capacities, right? So I saw... Uh, an ability to bring all of my financial knowledge to bear on a growing startup. I saw an ability to use my teaching knowledge, my research knowledge, um, my leadership skills that I developed through my PhD and other things. Um, and all of it was just kind of coming into this beautiful combination uh, in my role at Signet. And I started at Signet as just a tutor and quickly that developed into training other tutors, developing curriculum, and talking directly with clients about the challenges that their children were facing. Um, I soon became the uh, leader of our admissions team. So we do college admissions work and graduate admissions work, helping students apply to those programs. Um, and uh, after that, I um, had also become leader of our test prep team doing SAT, ACT, GRE prep. Um, you know, helping students with entrance exams. Um, and then um, it just sort of broadened into me becoming the like, pedagogical thought leader for the company. Um, and my philosophy about education, my beliefs about education, you know, even my hopes for what education could be for, um, you know, individuals and, and even for society, really influenced by my own story, going through kind of my academic twists and turns in my journey to understand really what I wanted out of life. So that was a, kind of a long answer. I hope it, it gave you some sense of <laughs> it, my it, adventures. It definitely did. You can, I mean, it's great that you got to combine the academia and the business side in order to, you know, build such an amazing business, Signet Education. So it is a really nice way. Can you give our listeners a, like, uh, elevator pitch of what Signet does? What does Signet sure. do? Yeah, what I like to tell people is we are trying to help teenagers find their path in life. And we are supporting them with a suite of coaching and academic services. Um, so those look like your general tutoring, test prep, college admissions kind of work that many other companies do. But we take a very holistic approach, very student-centered, where we want them to um, build a, an inspiring vision for their future. And it's not just, I want to go to this college, but 
this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of life I want to have. And then we work backwards from there to think about, okay, if you want to have this kind of life or be this kind of person, what do you need to do to make that a reality? Are, are there certain educational paths that are going to lead you there? Are there um, personal things that you need to work on in terms of your social emotional skills, your relationships that you need to build or um, maybe need to cut out of your life in order to enable you to move to that next level. Um, and so um, that's really where the coaching comes in. Um, we're really um, working with students to help them uncover what's meaningful to them, um, what's motivating to them, and then helping them learn a problem-solving method of, okay, this is my goal. This is what's standing in the way of it. This is where I need to ask for help, or this is where I need to do something differently to be able to achieve that goal. Do you get a lot of lost, I'm um, probably lost young adults too, that just, you know, say, for example, they don't really know what they want to do. And that's mm-hmm. going back to thinking, okay, we have to go back to setting up a goal. If we don't yeah. even know what are we good at, then you go through skills analysis and things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what we do. And yeah, we work with a lot of young adults. You know, this journey for me started when I was a young adult. Um, so I'm particularly <laughs> sympathetic to that group of, of people. And I think, um, especially with what we've been going through the last couple of years with the pandemic, that um, that age range of being lost, I think, is only expanding. <laughs> I think a lot of people are feeling lost. Yeah, I do too. I, you know, we felt that over here because I'm in the UK at the moment, though you're in the USA. But, you know, how do you think the pandemic and the school closures or even the unknown has affected that kind of them, you know, that teenage children? Because they're the ones that probably will have been more affected than, you know, I had much younger children that just got to spend a lot more time with me (laughs) rather rather than, you know, missing their teens, missing their friends, missing school, missing the, you know, the big tests and the exams and. Yeah, well, we're starting to see research come out that that is really quantifying some of those impacts. But, um, you know, generally what we're seeing is this was traumatic Mm. for a lot of teenagers and a lot of people who are just starting their sort of independent life, right? It was a real setback for a lot of us. Um, You know, there are some that really benefited from being out of that sort of school environment where they felt, you know, judged or they had to be a certain, they had to play a certain role, right? There, there are a lot of students who felt liberated by this pause in all of that. Um, But at the same time, there, there are so many students that developed a lot of anxiety because there's so much uncertainty. Um, And, um, you know, we're seeing that, that sort of mental health crisis that was really already uh, present before the pandemic, just really coming into focus. And, and I think uh, kind of clashing with the, the crisis of the, of the pandemic to make this, uh, unfortunately, this whole situation even worse. Um, I can tell you just from the students that, that we're working with, we've seen a tremendous rise in anxiety and depression um, among them. And I think one of the things that we always strive to do is just be a partner to these students. Um, to let them feel like here's here's an older person who can help you through these challenges and we're not going to judge you, right? Mm-hmm. We're not here to be a mouthpiece for your parents or another person like a teacher at your school telling you you're doing something wrong. We're really here to, to help you um, take some space and change your relationship to education. Um, and, and we really see our, ourselves as facilitators in that way. Um, but yeah, it's... it's uh, it's pretty scary what's happening. And, and we know that there are not enough mental health professionals out there to treat everybody. Um, and 
I just wish there was more we could do. No, I mean, that's a really hard situation. I mean, we none of us would have picked, none of us would have ever thought of schools closing or any of that. I mean, none of us mm-hmm. have had the experience unless you've been through the, I mean, the war, really. That's last time right. schools closed in the, in the UK that I can think right. of. Um, you know, it's a really different experience for anyone or even, you know, to have that, you know, stop of social socialization and mm-hmm. just went online and all that digital yeah. transformation, and everything. It just crucial changed. period for, for teenagers if you think about it, right? Yeah. They're, they're starting to gain more independence. They're starting to learn who they are. And then the world shuts down and they're locked in a house with the people they don't want to be around <laughs> because they're trying to, you know, spread their wings and fly a little bit. So it is, it's really, really tough. You know, I mean, I think that age is tough. Uh, whether or not there's a global pandemic going on. Um, so, you know, you can only imagine how how hard it hit them. So do you think it is the pandemic that's brought this, that's, you know, supercharged the fact that there is an increase in anxiety, depression, you know, or is, do you think it, what, what's happening in our schools or even society that's bringing this on? Is it expectations? Is it body image? Is it social media? Like, is any of these things? I mean, I, that's oh, it's all of it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, also, I'm I'm not a, you know, a mental health expert. Like, I, I see this in, in our work, and we do as much as we can to support students. But, you know, you've, there's plenty of other people who can speak uh, much more, more eloquently about this than I can. Um, but from, from my perspective, uh, I'm seeing two things. One is um, the expectation that, that you mentioned. I think... We really, society in general, whether we're in the US or the UK or, or wherever, um, there's this idea that growing up is like a conveyor belt. You do this first, then you do this, then you go do that. And there's no real consideration of the why you move from one thing to the other or the how you move from one thing to the other. And that expectation of this, this series of steps that you go through comes with a timeline that I don't think anyone really discussed. It was just imposed, right? (laughs) Um, You know, when you're 18, you're supposed to leave home and go to college. When you're 22, you're supposed to leave college and get a job. And then, you know, at certain ages, you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Um, And of course, there are are smaller versions of that too. In in your first year of high school, you're supposed to do this. And in your second year of high school, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to be thinking at a certain level, writing at a certain level, um, thinking ahead to college at a certain age. And, and that um, timeline creates a lot of anxiety, right? Sometimes people are not clear on when they're supposed to do what, so they try to do everything at once or they always feel like they're behind. Um, sometimes they compare themselves to other students. Well, this person is further along than I am. That must mean there's something wrong with me or I need to do more. Right. Um, And so we end up in this um, situation where students are overscheduled, think that they're behind, and they internalize that perceived uh, delay or perceived um, behindness as a moral failing on their part. They aren't strong enough. They aren't smart enough. They aren't working hard enough. Right. And then it just snowballs into all of this other stuff. And then the anxiety comes and then mm-hmm. like a vicious cycle, they can't, they can't yeah. get their way out, yeah. which is really true. And it all becomes overwhelming and overwhelming. Totally. Experience. And you don't know how to get out of it, right? Because yeah. if you knew what you needed to do and if you had a timeline that you had set for yourself, then maybe you can say, okay, I'm going to focus on this next step, take it one day at a time. 
But with all that uncertainty about what are you supposed to be doing and the competition and the comparison, um, it's hard to know even where to start. So students kind of disengage, they shut down, you know, they may turn to other, other harmful behaviors. Um, and, you know, what we try to do at Signet is help students understand you get to set your own timeline, you get to set your own vision, you get to define success on your own terms. I suppose that's okay. come leading to my yeah leading to my next question is how do you inspire the love of learning you know that persistence that genuine academic growth and success at Sigmund? Yeah, it's. I wish it were easy. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't figured out how to scale this uh, yet. Otherwise, we'd be doing it for everybody. I think, um, but really, for us, it comes down to the individual relationship, the the strength of that relationship that you can build with. Um, you know, a young person uh, is really for us what determines uh, how how well things are going to go and whether you're going to be able to impart that sort of lifelong curiosity and desire for, um, you know, their own vision and, and this definition of success. So when we work with students, one of the things that happens is we're trying to match them with somebody that they are going to be both inspired by but also feel comfortable enough around to be vulnerable in front. Because it takes a lot for a teenager to say, I don't understand this, or I need help with something, right? They really have to feel comfortable with that person. So we're looking for things like, you know, certain personality types, maybe they have some shared interests, um, and just, you know, certain intangible factors that um, make, make for a great mentorship relationship. And if that's in place, then we can really tap into what's motivating for that student, what is meaningful for them, what are they curious about, we have to really get into that, um, for them to latch on to a vision or a goal that they're completely organically motivated by. And then that's where often they, they start to find that spark, right? And if they find it in one area, they can sometimes see how that could apply to other areas too. Yeah, no, that's true. You need to that intrinsic motivation, don't you? But you need extrinsic forces around mm-hmm. you to make sure it's happening. Uh, you've worked at Signet for how long? Twelve years. Is it twelve years? Yeah, yeah, twelve. So you've obviously met lots of families. You've met lots of students on your way. Do you have a most memorable experience when working, or one that's just stayed with you, whether it's an early experience or even recently? Yeah, I, I mean, I have a couple. Um... I think, you know, my motivation for doing this work is, yeah, I get to use parts of my brain that I enjoy uh, (laughs) using, but I also really get to work with students that inspire me. Um, And I learn so much from them all the time, as cliche as as that may sound. So Mm. I'll I'll share a couple of stories if that's okay. So um, this one was a a couple of years ago. I was working with a student who um, needed to get a certain score on his ACT to get into college. Um, and we had worked together for a while and the kid was whip smart, but every time we worked together, it felt like we had to recover things that we had done, you know, in weeks prior. And it was a little confusing for me because he was doing his homework. He was really engaged when we were meeting and I knew he was really smart. Like I could see the wheels turning. He's quick to pick things up. And I really struggled to understand how to help him. And I could see he was starting to worry, like, hey, I know you're really good at this. So is this, is this a problem on my end? Like, what's wrong with me that I can't learn from you? 
Um, and, and I was starting to just worry about his own self-confidence. And I had to have a very difficult conversation with mom to, to ask her, you know, I've done all of the things that usually work. And I'm not trying to say I'm, you know, the best, the only expert in this, but, you know, I've seen enough students to know uh, what works. I, I've seen most cases. This is a very rare case where I'm not sure why this isn't working. And I want to ask if you've ever suspected that your son has a learning difference. Um, and that's a really hard thing to bring up to a parent especially right? when they're smart they're doing well and everything like yeah. that because there's not yeah yeah exactly and so we had a great conversation and I was like look I'm I'm not an expert I cannot diagnose him with anything I haven't seen any signs that you know he's got ADD or an executive function challenge or a, a poor working memory or any of those things I haven't seen that but you know, there are things that are happening that just don't quite add up. So it might be useful to, to, you know, open a conversation with him if he's ever felt that he uh, is doing the same things that his classmates are doing, but they're leading to different results for him or that he's spinning his wheels or that he's having trouble remembering things. Um, so I, I gave her some questions. I was like, you know, you just here, think of this as a survey that you're going to work through with him and make sure you don't... Um, you don't stigmatize this at all, right? This is just, you know, different engines of cars work differently. And if you can understand how the engine works, then you're going to get the best performance out of that car, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not that one brain is better than another brain. It's the brains are different. And the more we understand about them, uh, you know, the more we can help, the more we can help support. And so she had a conversation with him and she called me back and she was like, it was amazing. He told me, he feels like he works for six hours on an assignment that takes his peers 45 minutes and he can't understand why that's happening. And it's been really oh. frustrating for him. And he's not getting any sleep because he's got to stay up so late to get all of his homework done. Oh. And he was actually really excited to know that, oh, there might be other people who have to work this way. And there are ways to make my life easier. Right. So he was really open to this possibility. He was tired of feeling like something is wrong with me and um, wanted to know that there was some hope. So, um, you know, they got a, a neuropsych evaluation. They found a whole host of learning disabilities oh, wow. um, and he got accommodations in his school. He, um, you know, changed some learning strategies and some of his study habits so that he could actually retain information a little bit better. And he got accommodations on his ACT eventually as well. And he ended up scoring what he needed uh, to get in. But, you know, less than the score, I feel like this is a, a really great story about how sometimes thinking more broadly and holistically about what a student is experiencing can actually help you solve their problem, right? And, and you know, I feel like what I was able to facilitate for them in terms of growth and his future trajectory is so much more than just a great test score. Right. I Absolutely. gave him an understanding or a, a way to think about um, his own mind. And, and a way to you know, with it in future in ways he's been taught. Well, I suppose then he can understand if things go wrong, he can think about how he gets to cope with it or how exactly. he gets through situations. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you just think about a, a kid like that who's, who is, um, you know, taking two steps forward and one step back with every <laughs> homework assignment, working so, so hard. And they're about to go off to college where he's going to be independent. Oh, he's got yeah. so much more work, right? We were really able to set him up for success because we were able to identify what he actually needed. 
So that's one of my favorite stories. Oh, it's really lovely. It's really lovely. How old? I'm just interested. How old was he when he? So he's at 17, isn't it? No, he was like 15. 15 15. He's gotten all that way through until Mm -hmm. 15. Isn't that interesting that we do miss it? Schools do miss it. Education teachers, we all miss it sometimes because if you've got large classrooms, sometimes it's hard. Yeah, and and he was in a, a, you know, a fancy private school and it's not that they missed it. Um, They just didn't know. You know, because he he was just working so hard, burning the candle at both ends to achieve at the level that his classmates were, you know, so they were just like, oh, he's a good student. He's getting great grades. There's nothing wrong here. Nobody had asked him, how long does it take you to do this? It's true. If there's not a problem, you don't just sometimes you just don't ask, does it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the challenges is, is teenagers don't ask for help. (laughs) <laughs> they don't talk sometimes. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's it's very true. It, it's really true. What's your what is your favorite area to work in at your in your role at Signet? What's your favorite? Yeah. It's really hard to say. I mean, you know, I talk to almost every client coming in the door and we talk through their their child's education and what what they what they're seeing as a challenge and how we might be able to help. I love that because I get to hear the relief in parents' voices and, you know, give them some hope that there's a way forward. Um, But I do actually think my favorite thing to do is work with students directly. Um, So when I work with students, sometimes I'm uh, coaching on writing, sometimes I'm uh, working on the ACT or the SAT or the GRE, and then sometimes I'm helping them apply to college or grad school. And I think the, the college process for me is the most rewarding. Um, because it is uh, a really uh, concentrated period of growth for a student. The first time they're often reflecting on their life and where they want to take it. Um, the first time they are writing a very personal essay about, you know, their values. Yeah, that'd be quite they difficult at that age. Yeah, actually and they've never wouldn't. done anything like that no. before. So it, it feels like I'm, I'm playing a really pivotal role in their development of the young adult. And that's really meaningful to me. And you probably have to really pull it out of them too to figure out what their <laughs> skills are and what they, and they're like, oh, I didn't realise I can do it. You, you know, that's, yeah. that's great. Oh, amazing. So they many of them. It. I actually was just talking to somebody over the weekend who was like, I have nothing to say. You know, oh. my life's boring. I've got nothing <laughs> to say. And, and then you made a comment about, um, you know, loving uh, the history of like science fiction. And I was like, wait a second, hold the phone. That's fascinating. You have to tell me more about that. And before you knew it, he had a whole idea for an essay and he felt it was really representative of who he is. So, you know, they, they just don't, they don't know what they don't know. They no, don't really they don't know what they realize it's interesting, yeah. do they? They don't yeah. realize they it. They don't know how to talk about themselves. No. No, as adults, sometimes we don't know how to talk about ourselves in interviews no. and things like that. We all need to be coached at times, or, yeah. we say, or we say too much, or you know, we go off the topic. Everything. So I mean, yeah, it's just very true. Um, I know that you always focus on this. There's been talk, um, been reading some of the blogs and stuff, and you talk about mm-hmm. some focus areas, key areas to focus on for academic success for teams. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, you know, do you want to? Give us some pointers. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be as comprehensive of, as the blog post off the top of my head here, but um, there are a couple of key skills that we think are, are really important. And if you think about learning, there, there um, are sort of three parts, I think, to uh, school. One is the content that you learn, right? All the facts, the formulas, yeah. you know, all of that, the knowledge. 
The second thing is um, your ability to prioritize, organize, manage your time, you know, all of those really executive function skills that help you get things done or plan ahead. And then the third is the performance, right? Where uh, you have to participate in class or you have to, um, you know, demonstrate your knowledge on a test or in a paper, right? You actually have to produce something that shows I have learned this thing. Um, and so when I think about helping a student, I, I am thinking about those three goals, those three things all together, right? Um, if, if there is a difficulty um, understanding something, if we can pinpoint that that's where the challenge lies, then we know what to do, right? Well, maybe you need to work with the tutor, you need to read some stuff on your own, or you know, figure out how you're going to learn this material best. Is it by doing a project, something hands-on? Is it by listening to a lecture or watching a YouTube video? Uh, is it by, um, you know, talking with somebody else um, and, and working through the, the challenges? So uh, the knowledge piece of it is, is really a matter of um, getting that knowledge into your head and keeping it there, right? So there's some aspect of like, you know, recursion, how often are you looking at this? How good are your notes? You know, how are you taking in this knowledge? Um, I think when things get really interesting for me is when it comes to the executive function and the performance uh, kind of side of things. Um, because a lot of people just take those skills for granted. They don't realize that this is actually a totally separate category of brain power yeah. that you need to call on in order to do well in these areas. So things like, um, you know, having one notebook per class. Um, or um, a schedule that you make for yourself of when are you looking ahead to see what's coming up in this class so that the first time you're learning it is not when your teacher is first mentioning it to you, you know, keeping yourself in some sort of like an academic discipline <laughs> of uh, it's like academic hygiene, really, right? Uh, <laughs> staying organized, making sure your notes don't get out of control, um, you know, reviewing uh units or chapters of material before you have to study them for the final, right? Keeping them alive in your head, making connections across different disciplines. Um, all of that stuff, uh, I think is very important and it is not ever explicitly taught in schools. Um, and that's where um, an executive function coach can be helpful for students who struggle in those areas. But I think even high performing students, neurotypical students can benefit from thinking about, okay, well, what's my process for capturing my homework assignment. How much sleep do I want to get a, a weeknight? Um, you know, and, and setting up a, a program for themselves to just take themselves to the next level, get a little more clarity about where they should be prioritizing things can be very, very powerful for, for any kind of student. Um, and then when it comes to the performance, this is where anxiety can really get in the way, poor sleep habits can really get in the way, poor eating habits can get in the way, um, or just, you know, the, the fact of relationships, right? Maybe you don't want to participate in class because uh, you feel shy in front of your classmates, or you think your teacher doesn't like you or something like that, right? So really thinking through that whole ecosystem of what may be standing in the way of your performance um, when it comes to your academic knowledge can also be extremely helpful. That's, that's how I typically think about <laughs> what leads to academic success. No, it's really interesting. It's things that you don't, I mean, it's just having that organizational skills actually is quite hard for, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes a 
I don't know, a messy brain of a teenager or, you know, mm-hmm. you know they, they don't sometimes always have that. I mean, I know that one of my youngest children, one of my younger children, I look forward to the time that he can organise. <laughs> <laughs> We're still a long time off that. We're still losing everything. Yeah. <laughs> We're not there at all. Let's hope it does improve in time. But listen, I know, thank you so much for chatting with us today. If families, students or even teachers want to get in touch and learn more about Signet or even some yeah. advice, they might want to have referrals to come in to see you. They might understand a little bit more. Um, sure. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, our website is uh, signeteducation.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn under Sheila Akbar. Um, and you can email me at Sheila at signeteducation.com. Sheila, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I know you're extremely busy, but you've taken the time out to chat with us about, you know, it's it's really important. It's great to hear what Signet Education are doing and helping teenagers have a vision and also just, you know, allowing them to have a vision really because sometimes Mm -hmm. as you say they they, you know you become blindsided with if you put put too much pressure and feel overwhelmed yourself so thank Mm -hmm. you so much it's been really lovely chatting with you today yeah thanks for having me on heather it was a pleasure there are so many exciting developments happening right now in education edx education would love to hear from you so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast which is available on apple podbean spotify TuneIn, and so many more this podcast series is brought to you by heather welch from edx education as she'd like to say let's create lifelong learners <laughs>